How are we doing? So earlier this week, I was putting uh, some mirrors on in, in some of the bathrooms, and um, it was getting kind of late. And in the package, they have these little tiny plastic pieces that you're supposed to put around the mirror to keep it, to keep it on. And, uh, you know, it recommends to try to find a stud and put, you know, put at least one of them in a stud. So as I was looking at these little plastic pieces and looking at these little screws and such, I thought, I think I could probably get a beefier screw in this thing and, uh, and hit it right into a stud. And uh, what I did was I held a little plastic piece and I took the screw, that was like a two-inch coarse thread drywall screw, and uh, I, I went to drill it in just to make sure that that hole would, would fit it. And sure enough, it didn't. It got kind of wedged in there, and I thought, oh, my goodness. I want to manhandle this thing now, you know, a little tiny plasticky piece. So it was kind of late, and in the evening, and I was like, I just want to get this thing up. So what I did was I put the plastic piece on the, on the uh, counter, and then I reversed the drill, and, at the, and I was like, I'm going to just, you know, hit it real quick and get it to reverse out. But... Uh, I figured, you know, my man strength right here would be sure and plenty to clamp down on this thing and, you know, and then I would be able to be the victor over this little plastic piece. And so I, when I went to squeeze it, the first squeeze I realized that wasn't a good idea. Uh, because the little plastic, it, was, it wasn't like sharp. It was kind of a little, had some thickness to it. And it went right into my thumb and like cut my thumb. And here's my exact reaction. My wife is standing beside me. Here's my exact reaction. Red face. I didn't say any words or anything like that. I was just like, you know, thinking pain. And then she's like, hey, are you okay? And I was like, I think so. And blood. And, uh, and it's been bothering me the whole week. Am I a whiner because of that? You don't realize how much you, you know, I can't even text with a Band-Aid on. You know, what am I supposed to do? You know? And uh, it was sore, and then the next day I, like, wrapped it up, and I was like, oh, it'll be fine. I got out of the shower, and I grabbed the towel, and then ripped open again. It started bleeding again. I'm getting frustrated with this thing. But the one good thing that I can say has come of this is that I know that I bleed. I know that I bleed. I have a heartbeat, and blood comes out. If I cut myself... I have pain. I experience pain. I experience pain and I bleed. A couple years ago, there was a new game that came out and uh, uh, it was on your, on your phone. And I haven't played this in a while. This, this thumb story will relate to this next thing, I promise you. Uh, so there's a new game. Does anyone have any games on their phones or anything like that? So I got this game. It's called Plants vs. Zombies, plants versus zombies. A strange connection of plants fighting against zombies. I don't know what that, what, what, what that was all about. But for some reason they made it. It became like the number one game in the universe that year that it came out. And everyone was like getting the computer thing and putting it on their phone and getting little uh, stuffed animal zombie plant things. So here's a question. I know we did not have a time to be able to talk with one another. But I want to ask you a question. Just turn to the people beside you and answer this question for me. We'll take about 30 seconds. When I say the word zombie, what comes to your mind? 
Let's take about 30 seconds and just turn to one another. And when I say the word zombie, what comes to your mind? Go ahead. Okay. Now, when I said the word zombie, what came to your mind? Someone, someone tell me what came to your mind. I can't, I can't hear because the fans are on. Raise your hand and I'll be able to point at you or something. Or, Tom. Michael Jackson's Thriller, where they're like, mm, 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 mm. I can't even, you know, I used to do it when I, fifth grade. It was great. Um, what else? What else comes to your mind when I say the word zombie? Nice and loud. Night of the Living Dead. What else? What is it? Walking Dead. Ooh, walking Dead. What else? hard to hear very much because the fans, but I'm so thankful for these fans. Are you guys thankful for the fans? Wow, praise the Lord for that. And I'm not going to say Bob Messerschmitt's name. I'm not going to say the three of these fans are his. I'm not going to do that because I don't want to call him out. I don't want to thank him publicly, Bob Messerschmitt, for the fans. But I am thankful for, the, for moving the air. Next week, actually, hopefully it'll be a little bit cooler. The week after that, I'm really hoping it'll be cooler they, because the teachers will be back in and they want the teachers to be uh, comfortable when they do their do their thing, get, get ready for the year. So we're almost coming to the end of the summer, and it might be a little bit cooler for us. But um, the Pauls girls are here, and they don't, mind the, they don't mind this weather at all. It's actually pretty cool for them living down in Florida, so thankful they're here. But when, you, when I think of the word zombie, I, I wrote a couple things down. Um, rotting. Well, here's an example. Rotting, decaying. You know, Plants versus Zombies, someone said The Walking Dead. Look, there's a, there's a Minecraft character that is a zombie. A little game that has a zombie in it. And I, I don't know if you can see it very well, but right here in the middle of the screen, it, what's that say? Zombie Freeze Pops. Now they come out with Zombie Freeze Pops. Isn't that great? I saw that uh, about a month ago and I thought, I've got to take a picture of this. Zombie Freeze Pops. So we have all these things that, that, are, that are pulling us in our society that are, that are, for some reason, are bringing up zombies. Now, the question I asked was, when I say the word zombie, what comes to your mind? Rotting, I put some of this, decaying, spellbound, disgusting, the walking dead, I put that down. Brain eaters, because in Plants vs. Zombies, that's brains, that's all they did. Just they were focused, simple-minded, just, just following the masses, you know, just following the masses, whatever they were doing, you know, whatever one was doing, they all were doing. Easily led, easily led, easily turned. Do you know that the Bible discusses zombies? Did you know that the Bible discusses zombies? It wasn't just a creation way back when in the Caribbean in the 70s come up those weird movies and then coming out and now we have these games and things like that. The Bible, thousands of years ago, the Bible referenced, referenced the walking dead. Hmm. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And as you're opening it up, I've got a map up here of, of the ancient world and it just has a couple of the main cities and towns that are up on the screen here. And you can see down here in the bottom right is Jerusalem and that's where um, the Gospels took place, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, Ephesians was written by a guy by the name of Paul. Paul actually wrote a majority of the New Testament. Uh, he was a Jewish guy that uh, was 
a brainiac from Planet Smartron. I mean, he was so smart. He was trained under Gamaliel. His name was Saul. He was there in Acts, uh, Acts 8, 7, 8. When Stephen was martyred, they laid their, their clothes, their, their cloaks at his feet, and he approved of the first Christian martyr to be stoned. And he was, he was nodding in approval. Yes, kill this man. He, believe, he follows Christ. And then we have Acts 9-ish. I believe it's Acts 9 where Saul becomes Paul because he sees Jesus. And then throughout the course of the next few decades, we have Paul. I believe he was killed in probably 62 AD. He did a series of missionary journeys. One was kind of close by the first one. The second one went a little farther. And the third one went really, really far. Near the end of his second missionary journey, he stops off at a place called Ephesus. Him and Priscilla and Aquila, they, they decide to pop over there for a little bit. He comes back, and on his third missionary journey, he decides to stay there for three years. He stays three years in Ephesus. Ephesus is a really neat, a really neat city. Has anyone ever been to Ephesus before? I think there might be a couple people that been in here. Yes, Ephesus. If you have a chance, you can go and walk the ruins of Ephesus right now. Ephesus was known as a, a port city. Go to the next slide for me, Aaron. I don't know if you can see this very well, but this is an amphitheater. And on the right-hand side of this picture is a big, long street, a straight street. At the end of that street was a harbor. But 2,000 years ago, there was a harbor there. Now the water's receded so much that it's about five miles away, the water is. So you can see when the water recedes and the ships can't come in, then the city starts to die. But during the time that Paul was there, during the time that Paul was there, there were over a quarter of a million people that were there and bustling and hustling in and out of Ephesus. Another interesting thing is that one of the seven ancient wonders of the world was located in Ephesus. Did you know that? It's the Temple of Artemis. The Temple of Artemis. They also call it the goddess Diana. So they built this huge marble temple in her honor, and people would come from all over to visit one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Also, because it was in the province of Asia, it was in the province of Asia, it was a, an area that was controlled by Rome, and that whole province, Ephesus was like the capital of that province. So you not only had Ephesians, you had people that lived there, you had all different types of people that lived in this city. And lived there, they were all, you know, the Jews. When Paul comes, what Paul would normally do on a missionary journey, is he would land in a city, and he would immediately go to the synagogue and preach Christ in the synagogue. If they believed, mm, awesome. If they didn't believe, eh, he'd go to the marketplace. Go to the marketplace and he'd start preaching to the Gentiles. So what he did in Ephesus was he started preaching to the Jews. They started, they started believing in Christ some of them were, were ripe, ready to believe in Christ. And then he goes to the marketplace, and these Gentiles, these Greeks, they were ready to, to, to accept Christ. So you had all these people. So over three years, he not only was in Ephesus, he went all over the place preaching Christ. So much so, we can find it in the book of Acts. I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible, there, the book of Acts is like really long. Uh, it, even though it only see, you only might only see it as one book, it actually stretches over a long time frame. 
So um, certain letters like Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, they're kind of inserted. Think of it like a file system. It gets filed in in this part. It gets filed in this part. Acts is pretty long. So when Acts 19 is when, when Paul is at the Ephesians. He's at, excuse me, he's at, at Ephesus. And uh, he's doing such an amazing job of preaching the gospel. Here's what happens. The silversmiths that are in that city that make a whole lot of money making little tiny uh, uh, little idols of Diana and you know, Temple Artemis and stuff, they make all their money. They start losing money because all these people start turning to Christ. They start putting away their idolatry. We learned this you know, in months and months past you know, about, about the Ten Commandments. Do not make a graven image. We're kind of transitional time. Next week, the next coming weeks, we'll be talking about the book of Daniel. I'm excited about that. We'll be reaching, uh, preaching on that. But all these people started losing money. It ain't good when you lose money. So what the silversmiths do, you can read about it in Acts if you want to at another time, not right now. But they all get together, and they get themselves a mob together, and they put their hands on a bunch of Christians, and they bring them to this amphitheater. This thing will seat about 24 to 25,000 Conservatively, 24,000 people it'll see. And uh, I was reading a little bit more, and you, I don't know if you can see the little people there in the very, in the, at the very bottom, but a person could just stand and just speak normally, and someone at the very top could hear it. That's the way it was designed. It was like in a bowl shape and such. It was really neat. So they brought this mob of people in to try to manhandle, and they were going to go to town on these Christians. And Paul is there, and he's like, I need to go out there. I need to try to do something about it. And the other Christians are like, no, no, they're like pulling him back. Don't go out there. It will not go well with you. It will not go well for you if you go, if you go there. Thankfully, a city official comes in, calms everything down. At that, Paul's like, you know, it's getting, a little, it's getting a little heated around here. He decides to leave. He calls some of the Ephesians elders with him, and he gives them a charge in this little town called Miletus. And he says, hey, I've done my best. My blood is, I have no blood on my hands. I am clean. I am innocent because I've done everything I can to preach the gospel to preach Christ to, to all of you. That was around the 50s, early 50s A.D. 60 to 62 A.D., he's in prison in Rome. I know it's a lot of information. And he sits down because he's in prison. And Ephesians is called the, one, of the, one of the prison epistles. of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He, he wrote all those letters at the same time when he was a, in a, a prisoner in Rome. So he writes this letter to the Ephesians, people that he spent three years with and he loves deeply, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and the Greeks and the Romans that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And as we look in Ephesians 1, Pastor Brock read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And here's how I imagine Ephesians. Uh, imagine you're getting the Ephesians like a car. And the Apostle Paul gets in in verses 1, 2, and 3, and he sticks the key in, he starts it up, puts his hand on the steering wheel, sticks it in neutral, and just lays on the gas. And then, and then he jams it in the drive, and he squeals wheels and just takes off. So we have from Ephesians, Ephesians 3 to 14, it just, he says, hey everybody, how you doing? Guess what? Boom! And he just starts throwing all this stuff at, at him in this letter. He starts unloading on all these spiritual blessings that they have. 
And I don't know if you caught some of them. You know, chosen before the foundation of the world. You've been predestined. You've got your, there's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. The promised Holy Spirit. You know, just all these things he just unloads, unloads, unloads in them. Think about it as he gives them all the spiritual blessings, all the eternal blessings, as much as he could in that little bit of time. Ephesians is otherwise known as the believer's bank. The believer's bank. Because you can go and you can, you can, open, up that, you can open up your bank account and see all the riches that are in it. Often what happens is we never open it up. And we live miserly old lives like we just barely eke out a living when all we need to do is open up the scriptures and read of all the, all the precious things that we have, all the precious things that God has given us. And we walk away thinking... Wow, we are so blessed. We are so rich. So rich. So Ephesians 1, he goes through and he gives us all these spiritual blessings, these eternal riches, eternal blessings. And then as you're driving, he's got his foot on the gas, he jams on the brake. Jams on the brake. Jams it in the park. And he reaches up, he starts adjusting his mirror, his rearview mirror. He says, you know what? Let's take a look back here for a second. And that's where we are in Ephesians 2. So all that to get to Ephesians 2, verses 1. And we're going all the way from Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. I'm going to do my best to process through it. There is, there is a very deep well. And I will do my best to dip, to dip in and pull out some, some living water. But the well goes very deep. And I, we would never be able to, to, to plunge the depths in, in one, one morning. But as Ephesians 1 is eternity, blessings, he pulls us back into time. He pulls us back into our time. He says, here, let me, let me tell you something. This is all the stuff you have, but let's talk about you for a second. And he goes to the past, he goes to, hits the present, and he hits the future, the future of believers. Now, in your notes, I don't know if I have... I don't have the copy of the notes. Probably somewhere. Yeah. In our notes, about the right one. It says who they were. Who they were. Actually, Mike should be. You can go to the next slide, Aaron. Who we were. I actually have in your notes who they were. I really went back and forth whether to say we or they. I know I'm preaching to the choir because if you're here sitting at, a, at, at Centerpoint Bible Church, you obviously have some draw to want to hear what the Lord has to say. So I am assuming that you are believers in Jesus Christ, but I can't assume too much because statistically, we probably have people in this room that are not believers in Jesus Christ. So I really toss back and forth whether to say, whether to say who we are or who we were or who they were. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can mark out the day and you can put a we up top. Okay, so who we were, who we were. And the second line right there is who the believers are. Or you could say who the believers and put a little we above that, are, who we are. Okay, I've got three main points, who we were, who the believers are, and who we're called to be, who we're called to be. And a couple sub points under that. First, let's look at Ephesians 2. And I'm going to go ahead and read, the, read Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and then I'm going to jump all the, back, all the way back to Ephesians 2, 1. Um, my, I've had this Bible for a long time. It's an NIV. I love, I love this Bible. It's got a bunch of notes and stuff, so it's m- almost like a little safety blanket. I always like having it. But, uh, but I also printed off some, the ESV. So I'm going to go ahead and read in the ESV. 
And, uh, and then I'll probably jump back to the New, the new International Version. So let me read <clears throat> Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. He adds himself in that, kind of neat. He's talking to them, and then he says, I'm in it with you. I'm with you. And in verse 3, he says, we. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's some sweet verses. That's some sweet verses. There is so much in this, in this passage. If you are, there's a class that we're doing <clears throat> on Wednesday nights, and it's a theology class. It gets kind of heavy, and uh, it's good. It's good. It gets really heavy. And theology, theology proper, and the study of uh, theology and doctrine, it gets them in a bunch of different uh, categories, and they call them the ologies, the ologies. So in these 10 verses, it talks about salvation, soteriology. It talks about sin, homartiology. It talks about Satan, Satanology. It talks about God himself, theology proper. It talks about Jesus Christ, Christology. And, And just for good measure, it sprinkles in a little bit of the future, eschatology. Yay, 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 six deep theological things. I ain't getting into all those. I can't do it. It ain't going to happen. My purpose and goal is to look at these verses and to give them, present them to you in a way that you can grab a hold of them and keep them and chew them and you will be transformed by the word so you may go out and be changed because of what we're reading here. So let's get to it. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead. And you were dead. Now in the Greek, the, the Greek word is called nekros, nekros, and there's also a weird word before it that means being, and I can't remember what it is, but it just, it, the whole process is being dead, and you being dead, and we just stop there. What does it mean, what does it mean to be dead? Now when I, when I tried to back that, that screw out of that uh, little piece of plastic like I knew I shouldn't have done, but I was trying to do it anyways because it was late and I thought my man, my man grip could handle it. And I backed that thing up, 
And I cut myself. I knew I was alive. I knew I was. Because I experienced myself some pain. You know, <clears throat> uh, the other day, Hannah, Hannah works, uh, she helps take care of a, uh, a pool for an older man. And she cleans the pool for him, stuff, hangs out with him. She, you know, he's a really good man. And, uh, and she told me there's this mouse in the filter of this pool. So the other day, she had to go and she had to go get this mouse out. So when she came back, you know, obviously my brain is thinking toward this sermon and stuff. And I was like, well, wait a second. That mouse was dead, right? Yeah. Well, did you talk to it and get it to, get it to you know, kind of recuperate? No. Why? Because it was dead. Well, did you, like, little massage his little, his little, little mousy lungs, you know, and, you know, get, get a little defibrillator and, boop, 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 and get, the, get that little mouse to start living again? Did you do that? No. Why? Because it was dead. Well, did you call the other little mice clan around? to try to whisper encouraging words to this mouse? To try to, to try to bring it back to life through encouragement? No. Why? Because it's dead. What did you, did you start reading to it and try to teach it? Try to teach it that although you've been underwater and sucked in that filter for about five or six days, you still could probably make it out if you do these things and you try to teach it? No. Why? Because it's dead. Well, guess what? The mouse is dead. The mouse is dead. There ain't no bringing it back to life. I could have taken that little screwdriver and little plastic piece and I could have held that little mousy hand and just and cut that little mouse finger and that mouse wouldn't have done a thing. Why? Because it's dead. Because it's dead. It's dead. Now seriously, I've been to plenty of funerals. I've done plenty of funerals. And in different areas, uh, you know, West Virginia and even north and south, the county, and different people have different ways they do things. Some people, they'll have the casket here and the, the, it will be open and I'll, I'll preach, the, preach a sermon and the, the casket, the, the person will be right there. Sometimes it's closed. Sometimes they close it and they pull it out. You know, a bunch of different things. But more often than not, the casket is open. Sometimes it's behind me open. And people react differently when someone that they love is gone. That they're no longer living. Some people reserve and they sit there mm, they accept that, it's, that this person's dead. Some people go up and they caress this person's cheek. And they lean down and they kiss this person's cheek. And they cry and they weep over it. Some, some hold out hope that maybe, you know, is it in denial? Is it, will this, is, it, is it real? Is it real? And when you close the casket, that's when it becomes real to people. And then they start wailing. But it's like even when the casket is open, they're holding out this hope. They're holding out this hope that this person will raise back, will raise up and say, no, I was, just, I was just sick. I'm okay now. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. At the very beginning of Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul says, and you being dead, being dead. Now, why do I belabor that point? Why do I keep on talking about that point? Because it says here, right afterwards, it says, in the NIV, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In the ESV, you were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked. It's not the sin or the transgression that makes you dead. Does that make sense? You are dead. You are already dead. And therefore, it's just natural for you to sin and trespass. 
see, I think we have a we have a, a skewed a little problem that we need to tweak to correct ourselves here. When we see a little baby and it cries or it snatches the cookie, oh, there it is. There it is, the sin nature. It's not the moment before the child grabbed the cookie, the moment before the child cried out, the child was okay. And then the crying caused that child to be in sin. Or the cookie stealing caused that child to be in sin. No. We were born in sin. We were born in sin. Romans 5. Romans 5 makes it, makes it very clear. Romans 5 verse 12. And so I, just so I don't mess it up, I'll go ahead and read it. Therefore, just as the sin entered the world through one man and death through that sin... In this way, death came to all men because all sin. We were born dead. We were born spiritually dead. And yet we continue to walk. We, before Christ, are the living dead. Paul is referencing here. You were dead in which you once walked. So we all came from the same, the same place. We're all those zombies, the walking dead, the living dead, you know? We're all those, we're dead spiritually, but we're still walking. We're still walking. Not only are we dead utterly and completely, Wayne Grudem calls it, some people call it total depravity, but I like Wayne Grudem. He says, total inability. Total inability. There's nothing you can do to come alive. There's nothing you can do. Um, It's called total inability. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. See, it says here, in which you used to live, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ESV, in which you once walked following the course of this world. It's not we're a sinner because we sin. We are born in sin. And therefore, naturally, the natural man is going to sin if that makes sense. We're not dead because we sin. We are dead and naturally sin. Now that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big thing because people say, hold out hope for, for people, but we, we, there is no hope for us. There is no hope for us. There's nothing we can do, nothing we can do to make ourselves spiritually alive. As Grudem says, total inability. I have here, we're all dead, but our rate of decay may vary. Some are exceedingly wicked, and yet we're all dead and we trespass in sin. This walking, this walking death that we have. Imagine, I was trying to think of a way to try to explain it. You know when you get on the airport and there's all these people in the airport? Has anyone ever been to the airport and stuff? First time I ever went to the Pittsburgh airport, I was with my buddies back in 1993, believe it or not. We drove to Pittsburgh to go eat at Pomani Brothers, and now there's one right here in Hagerstown. But uh, we drove there, we thought it was great, but we swung by, we swung by Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh airport, and my buddies, you got it, you got to check this out, Billy. This is before they would like, you know, you know, and, you know, and put you down on the ground if you had a piece of metal on you, you know. So we, we thought it'd be fun to walk to the airport and just get on these people movers, you know, like these people movers. So we just, all we did for, for a couple hours is rode on these people movers all over the airport, you know. The easiest thing you can do is just stand there. You just stand there and you're moved along. You stand there and you, move, you don't do anything. You're moved along. That's what, that's what we did before Christ. We, 
naturally, our natural man just gravitated. We just followed. It says here in the ESV right here. Verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. We just, we didn't do anything but just, ah, you know. The world says this, yes. Uh, this is what we'll do. I mean, how's it working out for the world? How's it working out for the world? Over the past month, how many people have been killed in a bunch of different scenarios and situations needlessly, needlessly? Is this world going in a good direction? When someone is dead, do they go in a good direction? They decay. They decay. They do not go into a healthy direction. They don't start getting better and starting getting stronger. The color doesn't come back to their skin. They start rotting away. This world is rotting, decaying away. And those that do not have Christ in their life are decaying with it. Not only are we following the world, we're following the prince of the power of the air. It says here, I was just doing some basic research. The prince of the power of the air, it's Satan. That's the devil. Not only are people that are dead, not only do they trespass in sin, not only do they follow the pattern of this world, but they also follow the prince of the power of, this, of the air. They follow Satan. Ungodly, anti-God, they follow him. Let me give you a brief description of Satan. The ruler of this world and the prince of the power of the air. John 12, 31, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and Ephesians 2, 2. We're just reading that. He's an accuser in Revelation 12. He's a tempter. Remember in Matthew 4, when Jesus, 40 days in the desert, and then Satan comes to him and tries to tempt him? He's a tempter in Matthew 4, and also 1 Thessalonians 3. He's a deceiver. Genesis 3, remember, when he deceived, he deceived Eve, and Adam willingly sinned. Eve wasn't the one that sinned. Adam was the one responsible. A deceiver in 2 Corinthians 4, Corinthians 4 Revelation 20, verse 3. His very name means adversary, or one who opposes. Opposes. One who opposes. So, if we are looking to a godly way, we will have... We, and we do not know, we do not know Christ. We are dead. We have trespassed. We sin. We follow the world. We follow the, the prince of the power of the air. We are going to go the opposite direction that God wants us to go and calls us to. We will follow him. Did I say we're dead? Did I say we're dead? Uh, uh, remind, remind. We're dead. Nothing we can do. There's, a, there's this uh, weird, couple weird words I'll give them to you. There's this thing called um, monergism. Monergism. And there's another word called synergism. Okay? Uh, synergism, monergism. Monergism, it sounds like a big old word you don't know, but I'll give you the definition. Pretty, I'll give you the, Billy's definition. Okay? Uh, one person does it. Monergism. One being does all the work. One does it all. Synergism is you have a couple people do it, or more, a couple people. So monergism, one does it all. Synergism, a couple people will do it. The reason I'm hammering on dead is because I, again, something that we need to understand, we need to kind of tweak about ourselves, is that it is not us reaching up for God. Oh, oh, we're reaching up to him. We're not reaching up. And then he's like, yeah, Billy's reaching up. Therefore, I'm going to reach down and I'm going to help him. 
dead man don't reach. Dead man have no ability. You have no ability. You nothing. You're dead. Because if we start thinking that we are reaching up to God and he's reaching down. By the way, many cults believe this. Many cults believe this. You do your part and God will do his part. It is not us reaching up to God. That is, that's, that, says, that makes it so that we have some merit. We've done something. We're doing something, even if it's the tiniest thing, that we're doing something to reach out to God. No, we are doing nothing. We are doing nothing to reach out to God. What's it say here? It says in, uh, in, in verse 2, in which you want, walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We have nothing in us that pulls us, that we have nothing that we can reach out to God. Nothing. We are dead. That's why I love verse 4. Verse 4, let's take a look at it. Verse 4 says this. But God. All that. Driving the car. He's looking in the rearview mirror. Like, look at them. Look at them, all them walking, walking dead back there. That was me. That was me at one time. And then, he's, then, he's, then he looks at the vehicle and he says, but God, but God. And it's like he's excited when he writes this down, when Paul writes, but God. And he's like, oh man, God. And he kind of takes a moment and thinks about God. And at verse 4, he gives some descriptors of God, okay? This is where the theology proper section comes in. He says, but God, being, a being rich, Rich in mercy, rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It says, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Change the name. Though who the believers are, totally dependent on God, 100% dependent on God, 100%. Nothing we can do. It's all Him. We are totally dependent on God. And by the way, God is so merciful. I, I, in my mind's eye, I feel like the, the wrath, which said we're, we're naturally wrath, you know, the wages of sin is death, you know, wages, you know, all, fall, all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we deserve punishment, eternal punishment. I feel like God, you know, this is in Billy's mind, he's like standing there, and like there's Billy, and he's like, holding back all this wrath. He's like, I know he deserves it, but I'm holding it back. Enriching his mercy. He's like, you know, just this avalanche of, of wrath that would fall on me, and he's, he's holding it back because he's so rich. He's so rich in his mercy. The word mercy, withholding consequences that are deserved. Withhold, withholding consequences that are deserved. Man, Billy deserves it, but I'm holding it back on him. I'm holding it back. Not only that, well, Romans 9, 16. It is not therefore dependent on man's desire or effort. Nothing on man, but on God's mercy. God's mercy. Not only does it hold it back. He says, I love you, Billy. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. What is the world there? The world is dark, sin-filled, sin-infested, anti-God, pro-self, 
pro-self-love, pro-self in every way possible. Me, me, me. Nobody else. Me, me, me. God looks down and says, I love that world. I love the world so much. All these people that, they're dead. They're dead. They're out for themselves. I love them so much. 1 John 4, 19. 1 John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. We didn't love him first. We didn't love him. We loved ourselves first. But he's given us a love because he first loved us. He first loved us. Not only does he hold it back, not only does he say, I love you, he says, you are dead. I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to make you, the real resurrection, Christ's resurrection was the beginning. He resurrected us as well. It says here, in verse, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Dead people can come to life. Dead people can come to life. Not like the movie Warm Bodies. Have you guys ever seen the movie Warm Bodies? We're like, you know, and all of a sudden, love, this, this zombie loves a girl, and therefore he comes back to life. And I sit there and I'm like, well, that's whacked out, but, you know, how can I think about this biblically? God's love can bring the dead back to life. But not that dude and that girl. That was just crazy. But God's love made us alive. He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up. He seated us. Seated us with Christ. Not only does he say, I'm holding it back. Then he says, I love you. But he, he dips down into the mire and he pulls us up. Not only is that, he totally washes clean. Not only that, he says, Remember Ephesians 1? Remember Ephesians 1, all those things? He gives us all that stuff. And then he says, hey, I want you to sit here with my son. I want you to sit with Jesus. You be seated. You be seated beside Christ, my son. Everything that I've given my son, everything my son has, all the rights and privileges of adoption, you have. You have. I've got a... Oh, man so much stuff he's done it by his grace he's done it by his grace it's interesting I went out to grab a, a cup of water um, this morning in focus group and I heard my good old buddy Pastor Brock talking about grace and he said that grace is the gift of Jesus Christ probably getting a little mangled but I heard that and I was like yes yes God's grace is giving his son, Jesus Christ, to us and for us. Grace is unmerited favor. Not only does it hold back the bad, he picks us up, cleans us off, and gives us a ton of good through his son, Jesus. Now, <clears throat> Ephesians 1, let me bust through this real quick. Ephesians 1, verse 3, at the very end, spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, he chose us in him, in him, in Christ, before the, founda- before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us. He adopted us as his sons through Christ. The praise. Verse 6, the praise of the glorious grace which he freely had given in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. That he, verse 8, that he lavished upon us. He made known to us the mystery. Verse 11, in him 
We were chosen and being predestined according to the plan of His works. Verse 12, in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ for the praise of His glory. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ. Verse 13, in the second part of the text, it says, having believed you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing inheritance. What do we, what do we not have? What do we not have in Christ? What do we not have in Him? We have everything. We have everything. And yet we don't even open up our Bible and read all these things that we have. And we go throughout our day and we think, what was me? How horrible my life is. When you think, wow, when I have this, bring it on. What can this world do to me? I have Christ and I have all this already. I got I to gotta, I gotta keep going. I'm just going to go ahead down to uh, read verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So nobody can boast in of themselves. It is God's gift to us. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know who we're called to be? Verse 7 talks about it. I didn't read verse 7. In order that the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're the objects of His grace. I kind of feel like we're the moon. The sun is shining on us, and all we do is reflect the sunshine. That's all we do. You know, the moon has no, has no property to glow in and of itself. It only reflects what is the sun. I look up at the moon and I think, may I be a reflection of you, Lord? May I be a reflection of all that you have given us? May I reflect it to the whole earth? Something to think about. We reflect God's graciousness, His kindness, His mercy. We have all, these, all these attributes of God, His love, His mercy and stuff, we actually have the ability to to portray them to other people. Second Corinthians, the God of all comfort, comforts us in our needs so that we, in turn, can comfort those in need. You know, he gives us these things so that we can show them to other people, not for our own boastfulness, but for His both boastfulness. Someone, someone said something to me. I can't remember what they said, and I was like, hey, it ain't me. It's all God. It's all God. Everything I get. Some people... Come in, they need, they need help, and they, get, they need food. We get, I give them food, and then I say, hey, listen, this food didn't come from Billy. It didn't come from Centerpoint Bible Church. This food came from God. This is God providing in your life. When you take a bite of this, these beans, when you take a bite of this, these, this spaghetti, you thank God. It is from Him. Everything is from Him. It's for Him. And you thank Him, and you turn to Him, and I give the gospel. Not only that, but He's created us to do good works. To do good works. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. Workers doing his good works. Uh, this uh, real quick illustration. My daughter Ava, she's like five and a half months. She's almost six months. And uh, it was kind of rough in the beginning. She cried a lot and things like that. But man, she's like a joy. 
I mean, you know, she gets tired, she cries, we lay her down, she sleeps. She wakes up, we pick her up, we stick her in a, we hold her, and she just laughs and giggles. I like throw her up in the air, and she just like, she lights up. She lights up. And I hold her, and I think, I just want to devour her. You know, I just want to, I just want to just eat her up. The joy that we have in Christ is just like that. God, God wants to lavish love. I lavish love on Ava. I kiss her, I absorb ah, her and stuff. I get her to giggle and stuff like that. I just, I just love her. And, and that's, that's us. God wants to lavish this on us. Lavish, slather his goodness on us. But he also wants us to take our life that is now his life and walk not like this, but walk alive, seeking, seeking good works to do. And let me read to you a couple verses in Scripture that you probably already know, but it are good to, he- good to hear anyways. You know the good works are commanded to glorify God, Matthew, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Think of the moon. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Why do we do good things? Not for my own benefit. I've already got everything I need. What do I need to do anything good for? I know why. Because I want to show everybody on this earth the goodness of God. And when they say, hey, you did pretty good, I'm like, yep, it's God. Praise Him for it, not me. To enrich our life. First Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. It's a pattern that we can, that we can imitate. Others can imitate. I imitate, and I, and I see in other people. Titus 2, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness. It'll, even when you see somebody and you think, man, I know they could be doing better. Hebrews 10, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. You know, I welcome, I welcome, I welcome Pastor Brock to examine my life and say, Billy, hey man, come on, you know, uh, oh, jab me in the, in the ribs. Hey man, I know you can do better. I know you've been created for good deeds. And I would welcome it and say, yes, I am. Thank you for the spurring. I will do it. And in turn, I will turn to Brock and, hey, you can do better. I know you can. I love you. You can do better. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Verse, 1 Peter 2.12 Let's live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. I'm going to read a couple more passages and then I'm going to close it out. But I'm going to remind you of, some, of a couple things. You're dead. You were dead. You were dead. But God, in His infinite mercy and wisdom, has made you alive in Christ. Only by His grace. So you were dead. You are alive. And you now have the ability in the future to do good works and to shine His light for all to see. Let me give you practical examples. Uh, we were memorizing this. I don't even know when we were a, a while ago. I was in a group and we were trying to memorize it. And we urge you, brothers 
Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That is practical living right there. If we got busy doing that, we wouldn't be busy doing bad stuff. We would, if this world would, would seek to honor God, if believers would seek to honor God by doing good and doing the good works God has already prepared in advance for us to do, we wouldn't have time to nag. We wouldn't have time to degrade. We wouldn't have time to downcast somebody. We wouldn't have time to put somebody under our thumb. We wouldn't have time to do that stuff. We wouldn't have time to think about ourselves or to be thinking about other people. Galatians 2.20 I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I died to myself. I was raised again to live as God would want me to in Christ Jesus. And in a couple weeks, probably five weeks, we're going, to have a, we're going to have a baptism. If you've not been baptized, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. I don't care if you're 100 years old. You know, if you're 6, 7, 8 years old, 100 years old, you've never been baptized, hey, there's no time like the present. And I'm going to read Romans 6, and then I'm going to pray and we're going to be done. Romans 6 says this. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory to the glory of God our Father, we too may live a new life. We died to our deadness. We died to this. We live a new life, blood pumping through his blood, his life, pumping through our body to do good works. Whenever you see a zombie game or a movie or a novel, I want you to think biblically and remember, that was once your story too. That was once your story too. God himself is the giver, is the giver of our life. The question is, will you walk in it? Let's pray. Wow, Lord, you are so good to us. I, I cannot wrap my mind around how you would choose to reach down and love us in our death, in our deadness. And you, the creator and sustainer of all things, sent the most precious gift in your son for us those that walk against you, used to walk against you, and you raise us up by your grace through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. This gift, Lord, it's, it's not that we repay you. There is nothing to repay. For we, we're dead. There's nothing we can do. Instead, Lord, I pray that we would be a reflection of your Son, that we would point others 
to your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Word. Help us, Lord, to live a life worthy of the calling that you give us. Pray all these things in His name. Amen.